I was, um, I was telling Ezra last night, um, after I spent this week kind of thinking about what order to go in or what I wanted to say, that I was realizing um, this past week that when I have the opportunity to speak about something and God lays something on my heart, um, oftentimes it's something that I maybe don't know a lot about and I have to research and dig a little deeper. And this week um, I got to, I don't, I don't know how to phrase this, I'm speaking about something I feel really strongly about and I care deeply about and I know a lot about and it's harder to talk about that. Um, also, I'll, I'll, I'll include it something I'm not good at, um, but I am very passionate about it. And it gave me this weird, like, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to sort this information. It's the sort of thing I would love to sit and talk for hours with somebody about and why I feel strongly about it, but I had to uh, condense this down um, to be respectful of everybody's time. So, um, so here we go. Last week, um, Pastor Steve talked to us about uh, being a, a good steward. He talked to us about our finances, and he told us to think like a steward, not like an owner. And this stretches across so many areas of our lives. Um, one of the things he talked about was a word that we need to unlearn, and we need to replace it with his. Does anybody remember what that word is, or if you were here? There's a word that we know that we need to replace with his. Mm-hmm. Mine. Mine, 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 mine. Um, he said that even my very life is not my own. I belong to God. Nothing we have is ours to do forever. And today we're going to dig even deeper into something we have that is not our own. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about thinking like a steward and how we treat our bodies. Uh, my body is God's temple. He paid for it with his life. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17 says, Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. It continues on in chapter 6 and says, in verses 19 through 20, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside of the body but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. These aren't the only verses that, that talk about our bodies being used to honor God. And when we read these verses, they're not mentioned lightly. I think a lot of times that we look at these verses and we think about, I don't know, things that we might consider big, big ordeals, like um, things that put us in like big bodily risk, like I'm not doing anything inherently dangerous, so I'm honoring this command. Uh, we might think this includes like um, sex without boundaries. We might think that this includes illegal or harmful drugs, uh, self-harm, getting smashed face drunk, uh, things like that. Um, and those are harmful behaviors. Those are things that we should probably not be treating our, our bodies that way. Um, but it goes beyond how we shouldn't treat our bodies. How should we treat our bodies? We have to ask ourselves, how would we treat a temple? Does anybody have kind of a picture? What is a temple? Feel free to shout out a couple of words that you would describe, or what do you picture when you hear temple? A sacred building. Cleanliness. 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 
Say that again? Holy. Holy. Yeah, these are, I think, accurate words to describe a, a temple. Um, the book of Corinthians was a letter that Paul wrote um, to the people in Corinth, Greece. What he tells them still remains true to us today. Our body is a temple, but there is some historical significance and weight to what Paul is saying. We're going to watch a video. I'm a big fan of Bible Project. I don't know if you, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it because I know Pastor Steve has also um, shown videos or um, used um, pictures from them. And we're going to play a video that talks, it gives like a really good explanation, I think, about what, what a temple is from a biblical perspective. So. If you could go back to the city of Jerusalem during Bible times, the biggest thing you'd see is the temple. This beautiful building was designed by King David and built by King Solomon, and they believed that it was the home of the God of the universe. Wait, I thought God's home was in heaven. Well, the whole point of this earthly temple is that it's the place that overlaps with God's heavenly home. The temple is where God lives and rules all creation as king. That's cool, but even Solomon, who built the temple, didn't believe that it could contain the God of the universe, right? Yeah, the building was just a symbol, and it pointed to the fact that all of creation is God's temple. And that's actually what the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1, is all about. Really? It says that creation is God's temple? Well, it doesn't need to say it. The whole story shows it. In Genesis 1, God creates an ordered world out of a dark wasteland by speaking in a series of seven days. Then on the seventh day, God's presence fills creation as he takes up his rest and rule. Similarly, the tabernacle and later the temple were built and dedicated in a series of seven speeches and seven days, after which the priest or king could rest and rule in God's presence. Ah, so all of creation is where God intends to dwell. It's like his temple. Exactly. Now, turn the page to Genesis 2 and we get another portrait of creation. This one focuses in on the land. And in the center of the land is a region called Eden, which in Hebrew means delight. And in the middle of delight, God plants a garden in which God and humanity live together. And that's why the temple was modeled after the garden, filled with imagery of gold and flowers. The menorah symbolized the tree of life. It's the place where God dwells with his people. Oh, got it. And check this out. In the temple, the Israelite priests and Levites were to work and to keep the temple in God's presence. This is exactly the job description given to humanity in the Garden of Eden. So these humans were the first priests. But instead of ruling with God, they wanted to rule on their own terms, and they're exiled from the Garden Temple. And like Adam and Eve, Israel's leaders also wanted to rule on their own terms, and they too were exiled. The temple was destroyed, and this left them wondering, did God give up on Israel? Will God bring about a new creation? Well, the biblical prophets anticipated the day when God would create a new temple with a new priesthood. That's when God's presence would fill all of creation. And when the Israelites returned to the land, they did rebuild the temple. But that temple didn't turn out the way the prophets hoped. In fact, later Israelite prophets said that this temple was hopelessly corrupt. So they're still waiting for the ultimate temple. And here we come to the story of Jesus. He said that through him, God's presence and rule was coming into our world in a new way. And he presented himself as a new kind of priest. But Jesus wasn't a priest, and he didn't work in the temple. Right, 
Jesus said that God's presence, his rest and rule, was filling the world through his own life, death, and resurrection. Jesus was claiming that he was the true temple, and this new temple would expand out to include all of creation. That's a really big claim. And it got even bigger. After his resurrection, Jesus said that God's presence would come to dwell in and among his followers so that they would become mini temples. Communities of people where God rests and rules. Exactly. This is the Bible's vision of the church, which is described as a temple. Not a building, but people. Yeah, like when Peter says, you all are living stones built up as a temple for God's spirit to dwell. So at the end of the story, do we ever get a new physical temple? Well, not exactly. What we see is a renewed cosmic temple, just like Genesis 1. And this new creation doesn't need a temple building because through Jesus, all creation is now the place where God rests and rules the world with his people. So it's pretty cool to think that um, the temple, this in the Old Testament, there um, there's like really long description that sometimes can be boring to read because it's very detailed about the building of the temple. It took Solomon seven years to build it. And God is now saying that his spirit dwells within us. When we believe, when we follow, when we choose him, his spirit dwells in us and we are a temple to house that spirit. Um, when I was pregnant, I asked my doctor why he decided to go into obstetrics. And he told me that when he was doing his residency, he had to do rounds in several different departments. And he observed that doctors who were working in labor and delivery and obstetrics seemed to be the happiest. He said that uh, these doctors seemed to have a positive demeanor. They enjoyed going to work. Um, they seemed to have a, a good uh, work-life balance. And so he chose that field. He chose that based on what he saw around him. And it became his life's work. Actually, it was Dr. Pata who delivered, I know, one of Ezra's siblings or multiple of his siblings and also delivered one of my children. So he stayed in obstetrics. Actually, many people here probably know Dr. Pata. He's been in the community for a very long time and he has delivered so many babies, generations of babies. And it's a testament to that really, that method worked well for him. Um, if we were to ask our kids or teens or young adults to look around at church leadership, not just here, but the church uh, widespread, what are they going to see? A lot of us, I would say a majority of us, are overworked, we're overstressed, we're overtired, we're overweight. We talk about being good stewards. We want to talk about what that looks like with um, goods and things and we don't want to talk about what that looks like in terms of self-care because if we talk about self-care then probably a lot of us have to make a lot of changes deep changes difficult changes a lot of us have very busy schedules uh, we have routines we have habits we don't need more stress we don't need more pressure so we enter into an I deserve a break mentality and the things that we think of as taking a break aren't usually a break at all. The ways that we think we are thinking we are cutting ourselves some slack can actually push us deeper into the hole. Your body needs care, not shortcuts. We want to free up our schedule, so we cut out regular doctor checkups. I was actually just thinking, um, I think it was in July, 
I was noticing that my uh, vision has gotten like a little foggy far away and I'm 44 so it's not like weird or anything but I, I don't know it's like the first time I've noticed off in a distance I can't really read things as clearly as I used to I feel like I just went to the doctor we I like I'm at the eye doctor all the time and I looked up in my medical history the last time I went to the doctor it's true I am at the eye doctor all the time because I have five kids but the last time I went to the eye doctor was 2014 it was nearly 10 years ago so yeah, it was probably time for me to see the eye doctor. Uh, these are shortcuts we take. We cut out regular doctor checkups. Or we might buy fast food because we need a quick meal without having to get something out, cook it, defrost it, plan it, you know, all the good things. So we cut those things out. We work late, we get up early, we get very little sleep, and then we also cut out spending time with people who refresh us and nourish us. Everything has an agenda. In 2021, according to the CDC, I'm gonna give you some very grim statistics, and I'm not sorry. Something we all need to hear. In 2021, the number of homicides for the United States was 22,941. The number of suicides was 48,183, more than double the number of homicides. There is a mental health crisis in America. We know the God of peace. We know the God of recovery. We know the God of restoration. But people in churches who know that God are not modeling what health looks like. Not mental health, not physical health. We're not modeling. And we have the greatest resource that you could possibly have. There's a California-based mental health nonprofit called Wellness Together. Um, they highlight four major contributing factors to depression and suicide, especially among youth, and they call them the four S's, which is a very helpful way to remember it. The first S is screen time. Screen time interferes with brain development in young people. It also, in young and older people, adults alike, can lead to addictive behaviors, depression, and sleep, disrupt, uh, sleep disruption. The second S is sedentary. Sedentary behaviors increase your risk for cardiovascular issues, for heart attack, heart disease. It also increases your risk for cancer, risks of metabolic disorders like diabetes, hypertension, uh, musculoskeletal disorders, depression, and even cognitive impairment. Stress hormones can build up in your body, and movement can burn those stress hormones off. If we're not moving, they just keep building. Solitude or isolation. This can lead to changes in the brain that might contribute to the onset of mental health conditions. Poor social support can make it more challenging for people to manage their stress, which can also significantly affect your health and well-being. Sleep. Sleep helps our brain with memory, with learning, with emotional stability and regulation. It also helps our body heal and repair. I know for me, sleep is one of the things that I'm really bad at. I want to extend my days, and I would like to say I'd like my mornings to get earlier, but that's not true. I just want to keep sleeping in, but, you know, um, society doesn't allow that when you have, like, a job and stuff like that. First uh, Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Imagine a 
society where we practice good stewardship of our bodies. If we laid our burdens down at God's feet and we took rest in his command to turn him to turn to him with his, our anxious thoughts. And it should start here. It should start with us, the people who have the greatest resource that you could possibly have. We should be modeling what that looks like for other people. We should be laying our anxious thoughts down at the feet of Jesus. Enjoy, but don't overindulge. John 6, 35 says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So this is a, a really touchy area for me personally. Um, I've struggled with this as long as I can remember. I want sugar all the time. It's my go-to. I just want sugar. Um, additionally, I like to eat my feelings, not just bad feelings. I'm actually not a very emotional person. But I still, even if I have one feeling, I want to eat it. So stress eat, I happy eat, I sad eat, I just like to eat. Um, particularly sugar. And when I cut sugar, I go to bread. I just go to the next thing that's going to metabolize into sugar the fastest. That's what I go for. And um, there's nothing wrong with a sweet treat. Or enjoying foods that you find comforting. Nothing wrong with it. But overindulging can, at a minimum, make you feel like trash. And at a maximum lead to early death. Many years ago, I was trying to address my sugar addiction at the time. Uh, we'd been going to uh, not Edgewater, another church for a pretty long time. And it was, it was a really difficult thing for me to, to address. And um, I went to some of the leaders at church and told them I was really struggling with this. And they were incredibly dismissive because sugar addiction, it's sugar addiction. Like, they looked at me like I was nuts, that I thought this was such a serious thing. And it was disheartening for me to not have it taken seriously, especially because more people die from food-related illnesses than they do from drugs and alcohol. But we're going to take the drugs and alcohol seriously, but not somebody who's saying, I am struggling with food addiction. I am struggling with a sugar addiction. I need help. It was very, it was completely dismissed. And did you know? a fun little statistic or actually number or not even as a fact. Um, sugar is almost identical in molecular uh, structure to alcohol. It's almost identical. And research confirms that sugar has a similar influence on the brain's reward center as alcohol and drugs, meaning it is addictive. It is truly addictive. We don't line the back tables of our churches with shots, but church culture is often food-centered and especially dessert-centered. I, um, when I was going through kind of the, the first time I really addressed this food issue that I have, um, I asked a friend to pray for my struggle, and her words resonate in my mind. Um, I still remember them, and I still pray them. Uh, she said in that prayer, Jesus, be the sweet treat that Karen craves. And I still, I still pray that when I am um, see seeking God as my life-giving nourishment instead of sugar or any sort of food. Um, and I pray that because I don't want to make food my idol. And people don't consider that. Food can be an idol. Anything we're placing above God, if I'm seeking food for my nourishment, if I am seeking anything for nourishment that is not God, it becomes an idol. Just like Pastor Steve talked about, when, our, when, our, when we're putting so much um, of our self-worth and identity into our possessions, 
they are no longer our possessions, they are possessing us, right? So it becomes idolatry. And this can be true of how we treat our bodies. If we're placing things above this temple, if we're seeking out our own joy and satisfaction and quick fixes and getting that dopamine release, then we're placing it above God and it becomes idolatry. So we want to enjoy, but we don't want to overindulge. You can't be generous if you do not have anything to give. This isn't just talking about stuff and things. It's your time. It's a listening ear, your skills, your talents, your gifts. Um, since my kids were little, I've always told them that the Holy Spirit does not have age boundaries. So while people are young and they may not have a job or an income or you know a lot of financial resources to give generously, they may have time, they have talents, they have gifts, they have so much to give, so much to give. Um, I've learned so much from the humans that I live with, whether they be my children or my spouse. I've learned so much from them. And those age boundaries, there are age boundaries when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Their bodies are temples and they house God's spirit. It dwells in them when they invite him. And when you need help, I feel like a lot of people here need to hear this, so please listen. When you need help, Seek it out. Hear these words. You are not a burden. You're not a burden. Your body is designed to house the spirit of the living God. It is a temple that is precious and worthy of the love and support that others can offer you. Don't deny others the blessings that come from being generous. Don't let the enemy tell you to isolate yourself or to hide your needs. We are commanded to love one another, to serve one another, to care for one another. And this, just, this isn't just a commandment on giving, it's a commandment on receiving. How can somebody give generously if others won't receive the generosity of their gift? Mark 12, 30-31 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. For some of us, this is a necessary reminder that we can outwardly express our love for God through how we treat others around us, or a reminder that we need to do that. Uh, for others, this is uh, a verse that we have to kind of reverse engineer. Some people can give generously and love generously generously others, but they are not so good at loving themselves. So, for those people, sometimes they need to look at, what do I do for others? How do I treat others? And am I giving that to myself? Sometimes you need to recognize what you're doing for others to recognize how you should care for yourself. What advice would you give to a friend who's having chest pains? What advice would you give to a friend who's struggling with food addiction? What advice would you give to a Think of those things also. You've got to go to the doctor. You've got to get your checkups. Don't wait 10 years to have your eyes checked. You know, you can see so much clearer. Um, you know, if, you, if you're struggling with food issues, if any sort of addiction issues, you know, if, you're, um, if you've injured your foot and then your other foot, maybe you should see a doctor instead of continuing to play softball. Not that I would know. Um, so 
it's very important for us, especially as we're modeling who Jesus is, what a temple is, and what leadership looks like. I don't want our younger students, I don't want my own kids, um, young adults, to come and to any church and see leadership. They're giving sacrificially to a point where they're sacrificing their physical body to a point where they cannot serve, they cannot love others well, they cannot be there. You can't do what God's commanding if your physical body cannot hold you up. Treat it like a temple, because God tells us it is, and he says it very seriously. Um, again, I want to reiterate, this is something, an area that I feel really, really passionately about and also fail miserably all the time at, and I have to get back up and refocus, and, you know, I believe it, and I was just thinking about the verse where Paul says, like, you know, what I want to do, I do not do. The, you know, exactly. Um, we're humans. We're, we give into our flesh. But that flesh is meant for the service and glory of God. So, it's written in your bulletin, what can you do this week to be a good steward of your body? And I also wanted to include who will you tell for support? Because the things, sometimes we're sitting at church and we have like this huge motivation, like, yeah, I need to do this thing. This came to my head. I need to not keep my phone next to my bed or not watch TV right before I go to sleep, you know, or um, not have like sugar past a certain time of the day or eat past a certain time of the day or make sure I'm eating breakfast, whatever. Maybe these things are coming to your mind. And then we kind of like walk out the doors and become a blank slate. Don't do that. Whatever it is, if you have thought of something that would be a better way for you to care for your body, Write it down and tell somebody. Tell somebody. Not just for accountability, but for support. We need support. Because a lot of these things are a huge struggle. The flesh is strong. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for allowing your Holy Spirit to come dwell inside us when we invite you. Thank you for giving us access to the biggest source of strength that has ever existed. It's you, God. You are so strong and so powerful, and you open your arms to us. God, with all of our impulses, fleshly desires, packed schedules, poor eating habits, poor sleeping habits, God, let us remember that, that this body is not our own. Help us to think like a steward, not an owner. This body, I don't own. It is yours, God. It belongs to you. All of us belong to you. I pray that we can glorify you and treat ourselves with the care that you want us to so that we can better love others, so that we can show the world what it is to have access to the greatest power ever and that that power is loving and giving mercy and grace, goodness. You are good, God. Help us to be examples of that goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, guys, I hope that we don't leave with the sense of heaviness that, oh gosh, I've got to make some changes. I hope it's a sense of joy. I get to make some changes. I can take better care of my body. I can really express the joy, the love that God has poured into me, and I can pour it more excessively out to the world and to others. Um, 
Let's thank God for what he's done, and may you feel his strength and his blessing on you as you honor him and glorify him with your temple that houses the spirit of the living God.